Good morning. I'm hoping that by coming up here I'm going to find the cool spot. You say no. What a shame. <laughs> I just want to dub you all the faithful. Right? Thank you. Thank you for coming out on such a hot day, just knowing it's a warm one, isn't it? It, it actually reminds me there's so many places in the world where believers will gather today that don't have access to air conditioning. It's not that their air conditioning isn't adequate, it's just that they don't have it. And so it just reminds me that we gather and we tough it out with those who are really, really faithful. How about we pray as we start? Father, right now we know that in your presence there is refreshing. And so, Lord God, right now we just welcome your presence among us. Lord God, I want to pray that we would have ears to hear, that we would set aside all distraction and that your Holy Spirit might grab our hearts in such a way that we don't even notice what's going on around us, but we're very mindful of hearing from you. So speak with us this morning, Lord. Amen. So I want to ask you a question, and I wasn't sure how I could frame this up in a way that doesn't sound morbid, but I don't mean it to sound morbid. But if you knew that you only had three years left on this earth, what would you do, right? Assuming that you're healthy and you're strong, what would you do with three remaining years? What would you do? <laughs> like buy a bigger, better air conditioner, I think. <laughs> you know, perhaps some of us start to think about bucket list, places we'd like to see, experiences we'd like to have. Others of us might think more in terms of the legacy, something that will have a lasting impact when we're gone. It struck me recently that when Jesus began his ministry, he knew that he only had three years. Three years to not only convince people of who he was and usher in the kingdom, die on a cross for the sin of humanity, but to make sure that God's saving plan wouldn't just stop with the generation who witnessed it, but to make sure that it would continue on from generation to generation to generation. It had to be passed on. And so his strategy and how he would spend those three years was absolutely critical. I mean, how do you make sure that faith keeps getting transferred? How do you devise a strategy that won't just work in the first century but would transcend time and culture? How do you make it so simple that it doesn't require tertiary educated academics for the good news of God's kingdom to spread to every corner of the globe? Jesus' plan was ridiculously simple. He gathered a bunch of ordinary, unskilled guys and he invited them to become his disciples. And you know, when they first started following Jesus, they weren't even sure of who Jesus was yet. And I love that Jesus doesn't just spend time with these guys, you know, just kind of hoping that one day a faith conversation might come up. No. Right from the outset, Jesus begins making them as his disciples, shaping them. He doesn't wait for them to discover who he was. They, they start becoming his disciples before they know him as Lord. And so right from the start, Jesus did three things. He teaches, he apprentices, 
and he immerses them in experience. Now let's just unpack these briefly. Jesus teaches his disciples about the kingdom of God and his teaching took a number of forms. There's the the formal sit-down method, let's call that, you know, like the formal teaching. But then there's so many informal times that we see Jesus seizing just everyday moments with his disciples, just teaching them as they go. And so the disciples are learning from Jesus But you know, imparting information to someone is never going to be enough for them to make further disciples. Because you don't just need to know the theory of how something works, right? You need to have practical experience. You don't want a surgeon who only has theoretical knowledge. I don't care how many books they've read, how many lectures they've sat in, when you're the one on the operating table practical skills matter, yeah? I remember right before my hysterectomy, I was in the pre-theatre room and the anaesthetist walked into the room for the very first time. I hadn't met him before this. And he walked in, he introduced himself and he said, oh, I'm going to be your anaesthetist tonight. Normally, my wife would do this, but she's just had a baby and so I'm standing in for her. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, like, same as you, right? Like, so is he actually an anaesthetist? You know, because I'm thinking, I could just imagine their at-home conversation, you know, oh, darling, I'll get up to the baby, I'll, I'll do the washing up, and look, I'll even stand in for you at work. This is scary stuff. Anyway, back to my point. To really learn something, we need more than information. We need practical experience. And so Jesus has his disciples alongside him and they watch and sometimes they assist as he teaches and he demonstrates the kingdom as he makes further disciples and even as he responds to opposition. Jesus apprentices the 12. And then often afterward we find him debriefing them, just explaining like the finer points of what they've just heard or experienced and and encouraging them that they too can do this. So Jesus teaches, he apprentices, and thirdly, he immerses the disciples so that they will grow in confidence and be able to make further disciples on their own. Because acquiring information is good. Watching someone else do something is useful. But it's when we have to do it by ourselves, that's when we really learn. And so in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12 on their own, essentially to do what they have watched Jesus do, but this time they have to do it for themselves. And then a a chapter later, Jesus expands this same immersion experience to 72 other disciples, sending them out on their own. Because our learning really steps up a notch when we have to do something by ourselves, right? For those of you who drive, do you remember the first time that you drove by yourself after getting your peas? Scary? Yes, absolutely. You know, suddenly you don't have that extra set of eyes helping you navigate traffic situations. You're it. And so hopefully your driving goes up to the next level and you grow in confidence. At first you're really nervous, but then the more you drive by yourself, the more your confidence grows. Jesus knew that nothing would improve the disciples' disciple-making ability more than going out and giving it a red-hot go for themselves. And so with only three years to make the kind of disciples who would change the world down through history, this was the strategy that Jesus used. Teach, apprentice, 
and immerse. And he gets to the end of those three years. He dies and rises again. And do you know what his last instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 were? Let's hear them again. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples who'd been trained to make disciples were to keep making disciples. And notice Jesus' instruction wasn't just to make Christians who would gather in churches to be taught. The disciples were to make further disciples and those disciples were to make further disciples and those disciples were to make further disciples and so on because this is Jesus' strategy for how the world would be saved. He puts it in our hands. Jesus' commission wasn't just for those first disciples. This was for every follower of Jesus who would come after them from generation to generation. This commission is for us to not just be believers, not just be people who belong to a church or people who serve in a ministry or even to be disciples who know the teaching and who watch others make disciples. This teaching is for every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, to be the kind of disciple who makes disciples. Can I let you in on a secret? We're not very good at this. I mean, not just us, but the majority of Christians across the Western world have lost sight of Jesus' commission for individual disciple-making And somewhere along the way, we replaced Jesus' method of personal disciple-making with evangelistic campaigns and outreach programs and courses, and we professionalized the sharing of God's word. And for a time, our new methods worked, especially in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But as Western society became increasingly secular, our new methods are no longer effective in making new disciples. Just last week, I was speaking to a beautiful Christian lady who was lamenting, there's only four people now left in her church. And she commented, she said, oh, it's just the way the world is going. Christianity is shrinking. Jesus never intended that. I really believe that it is time for us to return to the ways of Jesus, to relearn them, to rediscover his method of personally coming alongside those who don't know him yet and in the context of friendship, helping them explore what the Bible says, apprenticing them to be followers and immersing them in experiences of their own as they share Jesus with others. I reckon if we were to do a poll at this point, many of us would say, great idea. But if we were honest, we'd probably also admit, I'm not sure that I really know how to go about doing that. Or perhaps that sounds just a little bit scary. Or I just can't see how that could fit in my already busy life. Can I just say the pastoral team share all of those feelings? But in 2020 and beyond, we are committed to learning not just the words of Jesus, but also the ways of Jesus. And so we're going to embark on some disciple-making practices, starting with those who don't know Jesus yet. And we want to invite you to learn and practice with us because this call isn't just for the pastors of the church. The call is for all of us. And so we want to take a learning journey together. 
One of the things we're going to be practicing is Bible discovery method. And you know, it's simply inviting someone who doesn't know Jesus yet just to read the Bible with you. So many people actually don't know what God's word says. So it's no pressure. Just read the Bible with me. Let's just read it together. Really super simple. Anyone of any age or any level of Christian knowledge is able to do this. There are some churches right across Australia and actually across the world that have rediscovered something here in disciple making. And so I want to take a look at some testimonies of some people who have been doing Bible discovery method with not yet Christians. say if you would like to try Bible discovery method with someone that you know come and see us because it's very simple but there's some really important things to do within there like just basic tips that that will make it work better but as a pastoral team we also recognize that not all of us are going to be ready to take that step yet we recognize that but we do believe the step that we can all take this year is just choosing to be light and salt in the everyday context where we are. When Jesus used these two images of light and salt in in Matthew 5 to call his followers to live attractive and distinctive lives so that when we're among those who don't yet know him, we will stand out as different. It's about making faith visible through who we are, the way that we care, the way that we speak, the values that we live out, and so on. And I really love the simplicity of what it means to be light and salt, Because it's not a call for you to do more. It's a call to live intentionally in the places where we already are through the week. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us into the opportunities with people that he is already setting up. You know, I remember when my neighbor's son died a few years back now and and he was in his 30s. He had a wife and a couple of young children and he was just doing some house renovations and he was electrocuted. Yeah, it was tragic and the Holy Spirit just just put on my heart, like just make your neighbour a meal and you know, I had no idea how much God would use that meal to speak to her. The next day she came to return the, the, the dish and and she was just not full, she'd eaten it. Um, but she was just so so obviously touched by this and and um she said to me No one has ever made me a meal in my life before. And then she said, so you go to a church, right? Tell me about your church. And, you know, we have gone on to have many faith conversations over the years and she's been to a women's event here. She's watched the testimony of Jellyfish Guy who spoke at PBC, for those of you who remember that, and I'm just really conscious with some of the disciple-making things that we're now learning that I'm really conscious I need to come back to the story that God is writing in my neighbor's life because now I'm not just waiting for that occasional faith conversation. Now I have some tools where I can help her take some further steps. But you know, it all begins and began with just being salt and light, just responding to Jesus' call there to reach out to her. And God was the one who grabbed her attention. I didn't have to force anything. He he arranged it. For those who haven't been at PBC for very long, each year we capture where we sense God is leading us in our vision banners at the front. And this year, 
We believe God is calling us to be light and salt in the context, the everyday context where the Lord has you. And the wording on these vision banners may seem a little clumsy, but it's very intentional. Being light and salt with Jesus. You see, this isn't about us striving to be better people, to stand out in and of ourselves, but rather this is about responding to what the Lord shows us. It's about leaning into him, allowing him to point out who we're to encourage, who we're to pray for, who we're to bless in some way, allowing him to call us up in our character in specific situations so that Jesus is seen in us and allowing him to prompt us in when we're just to listen and when we're to speak. We do this with him because he knows just what will speak into people's lives. And so the banner reads, being light and salt with Jesus to transform lives. Because the end point of living attractive and distinctive lives isn't just so that they'll know we're a Christian. It's so that the life of another gets transformed as we have the opportunity to journey with them to discover Jesus. And so this year, the invitation right across PBC for people of all ages and stages, people of all backgrounds and nationalities is to become more intentional in being light and salt in the everyday context where the Lord has you. And as we do that, we will discover that there are some people who are attracted and curious about what they experience in us. Not everyone will be, but there will be some. And for those of us who are willing then we're going to explore what it looks like to build on that. Those who are particularly, God's grabbed their attention or prepared them in some way, what what it could look like using the Bible discovery method perhaps to be part of the journey of someone discovering Jesus. You might notice that we still have the same art installation up from last year with this fruit-bearing tree with the soil of prayer underneath. It is not that we couldn't come up with a new idea. We're full of ideas. (laughs) But as we thought about it, we just thought, you know what? This continues to serve as an important reminder to us because the the fruit on this tree represents our desire to see God transform lives. That has not changed. And this soil of prayer underneath continues to be so vital for all that we do as we endeavor to make disciples. And so we're going to leave this tree here for now. But this week we're going to all the fruit off it because every every bit of fruit on this tree represents an actual story of a life that was transformed last year we're not saying that that didn't happen but we're we're just saying 2020 is a fresh year God is writing fresh stories this year and so we're going to pull that fruit off and and we're just going to together lean in come alongside people and uh, share stories together where Jesus transforms lives so would you lean in and be light and salt with Jesus in your everyday context this year, perhaps with greater prayerfulness and intentionality than you have in the past. And for those of you who have already been doing that, perhaps your next step might might be to have a go at doing Bible discovery method with your friend and if everything in your head says, ah, it's probably, that's, that's fine. Like that's the starting place for all of us. Let me assure you. But I just want to say I have actually started doing Bible discovery method with someone just recently, someone who doesn't know Jesus. And I want to say that the times when we meet and we open the Bible together, I was surprised that he he, he wanted to actually read the Bible. Um, So that was cool. But the times where we get to open the word together, like that's the highlight of the week for both of us. 
I just got a text this week just saying, like, I love, I love reading the Bible with you. So, you know, if you want to have a go at doing that, come and chat with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognise that you, you paid the highest price that this world would be saved. And Lord, your intention always was that it would be passed on from person to person, this saving knowledge of who you are. And as, as people are and as people do, we've tried to work that out and we've tried to get smarter and better. And, and Lord God, we just want to recognize right at this junction in time that maybe you actually do have greater wisdom and that maybe your ways could work. Father God, I want to pray that each of us this year, Lord, that we would just really be mindful of the places where we are through our week. God, I want to pray that we'd be very led by your Holy Spirit in those places to represent Jesus, to stand out as light and salt, attractive and distinctive. And Father God, I want to pray that you would be at work preparing those who are around us in those contexts. I want to pray, Lord God, that we would recognize those who you are already at work in who are ready to take further steps. God, give us courage, but Lord, I want to pray that we would we would be able to re- sit in this place in 12 months' time and look back and go, oh my goodness, you are amazing and your word is powerful and effective in lives. So God, give us courage to partner with you, to not just be ones who are, are taught but Lord, to be apprenticed and to immerse ourselves into those disciple-making practices for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.